Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Who knows that money sometimes can be a bit of an uncomfortable topic. It can be a bit, because it's personal, right? Money can be really personal. And it can be easy to try to avoid talking about money in the church. But who knows that money is so important to God, how we use our money, what we do with our money, God cares about. And that is why Jesus spoke about money so much and why we see this theme of money and wealth throughout the entire Bible. So it's so important what we're doing here in this series. And I hope that you've learned something and been encouraged by it. Today, as I said, we will be doing the final myth. And that is this. Giving makes you rich. If I give, I'll get rich. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds pretty good. If I give, then God will repay me with good wealth and good health. Now, as I say good wealth and good health, some of you might be thinking, hang on a minute, that sounds a bit like prosperity doctrine or this thing that we call the prosperity gospel. Good health and wealth. Well, that is exactly what we are talking about today. Now, I'm not going to wait to the end of the message to tell you this is a myth, okay? That's why we're talking about it straight up. This is not how our relationship with God works. It's just not. And we're going to talk a bit more about that and unpack that today. Now, if you're not too familiar with, with the prosperity doctrine, it could look like any of the following. Now, Somebody who believes in the prosperity doctrine would most likely believe that every believer should have good health and good wealth. They shouldn't be in need. And if they are in need, then that must be because they haven't actually asked God properly for what they wanted. It could look like if you desire something, then surely God desires for me to have that thing. I mean, he wants good things for us, right? So if I desire it, then surely it will be mine. All I have to do is to name it, name what I want, name it and claim it in Jesus' name. This name it and claim it and it will be, okay? If I name it and claim it, it will be. Essentially, God would then be obligated to bless you and provide your desire because you named it and claimed it in Jesus' name, in the powerful name of Jesus. And he does have a powerful name. That is not a myth. If somebody is unwell or somebody is poor, well, if they are in need, they're unwell, they're poor, it must be then because they have sinned, because of the sin in their life. It must be because something in their life that they're currently doing, they haven't repented for, that they are then being essentially punished through being sick or unwell or by being poor. It could be that or it could just be a lack of their faith. You know, they haven't asked properly for it. Prosperity doctrine would also encourage people never to speak negatively about their situation. So let's say that um, you look and you're financially not doing too well. Prosperity doctrine would say, pray for financial breakthrough and then don't talk about the negative aspects. Say, I am rich. Only make positive confessions, believing that what you have asked for has already been done. So these beliefs can obviously play into health. They can play into just general well-being and to the wealth of people. Obviously, we're in a series at the moment about giving. And if we were to spend today talking about all of those areas, 
we would be here for a very long time and I guarantee you, you would get screen fatigue. So we're not going to do that. Today, our focus is predominantly going to be on money. But it's important that you understand what the prosperity doctrine looks like. And saying that today, we are going to be busting the myth that if you give, then God owes you the blessing of wealth in return. So we're going to go uh, head into the scriptures now. We're going to go to 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 12. If you've got your Bible with you there at home, you can um, head there now. But this is Paul writing to Timothy to encourage him, to encourage Timothy in his ministry. And he says in verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things will we be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That just doesn't sound very pleasant. Pangs. Doesn't sound very pleasant. No one wants pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, when I read this and and even other scriptures throughout the Word of God, throughout the Bible, it's so clear that the Bible doesn't actually encourage us to pursue wealth. If the Bible doesn't encourage us to pursue wealth, why do we associate wealth with blessing? Why do we associate it with blessing? I think we need to look at our perspective of blessing. What is blessing? You know, we use this word all the time. I'm blessed. Oh, this is such a blessing. God did this in my life. Bless you. Bless bless that. Now, what is blessing, right? If we look back at the Old Testament, we can see that when the Israelites did good, when they followed the law that God had set out for them, when they did good, they got good things. If they broke the law, good things were not to follow for them, okay? If they did good things, they got good things. The thing is, we don't live in the Old Testament times. We don't live under that Old Testament law. But so often what we can find ourselves doing is finding ourselves in this pattern of thinking where we think, if I do good, I'll get good. If I do good, God will bless me. You see, the Israelites, their blessings were often very evident. But we can find ourselves looking for the evidence of blessings in our lives to prove that we are doing good. See, we don't live under that Old Testament thinking. We live under a New Testament thinking. Let me tell you about something we call the gospel, okay? We believe in a God who loves his people so much he sent his one and only son who is Jesus. See, God always loved his people. God always wanted relationship with his people. The thing is, is that God is a perfect God and sin makes us very less than perfect. Now, humans have this problem. You have it. The Israelites have it. Every human has had it. It's this problem called sin. Sin is a big deal because it separates us from God because he is perfect. Now, God, he always wanted to be close to his people. That's why he gave them the law in the first place, telling them exactly how they could do that. But people couldn't fulfill it. And so God sent Jesus who lived a perfect life, a perfect life. And you know, that's important because when Jesus died and he rose again, defeating sin and the power of sin, 
It means that Jesus, that perfect life that he lived, God no longer sees you with all of that sin. Instead, he sees you with that perfect life that Jesus lived. The Bible says we have the righteousness of Christ. We are seen with the righteousness of Christ when we believe in him and give his life. We give our lives to him. That is such a powerful thing because it means that no longer do we need to earn, no longer do we have to do good to get good. But we are blessed by association with Jesus. We are blessed because we know Jesus. We are blessed even because we just have relationship with Jesus. What a blessing that is. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, it talks about the fact that we have received every spiritual blessing. We are blessed. See, Jesus died for you and therefore you are blessed by association. The myth is that you'll be rich in these physical, easily evident blessings if you just give to God. But the truth is, is that you're already blessed. See, we live as Christians out of the gratitude and out of the overflow of what God has already done for us. Have you ever heard the term, and if you hung around me a little bit, you've probably heard it, just living the life. The life. This is the life. I just want to live the life. You know, maybe for you, the life looks like being able to do church in your PJs right now. Maybe for you, the life looks like getting your burritos, not having to cook, sitting down to a great movie and having the heater on. And that feels like the life. Maybe it's travelling no further than northern Queensland if the conditions and restrictions allow at the time and sitting there with a cold drink in your hand with the sun on you, as you can hear I'm probably projecting right now, and that is living the life. Maybe you love the snow and you're hoping to go up to the snow soon and you, you know, you're snowboarding or skiing down the slopes and you're like, I'm living the life, right? We use this term all the time, the life. You know, Paul actually had something to say about what life truly is. Paul had something to say about what was the life. And he said it just a little bit further down from where we were reading before. In 1 Timothy verse 17, Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. According to Paul, riches actually don't find you in a very good place. They're uncertain. But if we fix our eyes on God, if we're generous, if we're ready to share, if we're able to store up treasures in heaven, that is the life. That is truly the life. You see, you might have fallen into the lie that being physically and materially rich is really important, that that is a blessing from God. But you know, there's physically and materialistically rich, and then there's being spiritually rich. Spirit, being spiritually rich, you know, if you compromise your spiritual wealth that, that time with Jesus, your spiritual disciplines, the privilege that it is to have relationship with God, the privilege that it is to be able to live out a life that he has called us to, to be able to, to have a heart that is after God's own heart. If we are to compromise that spiritual wealth for physical wealth, the truth is, and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the truth is 
according to the Bible, you're not actually wealthy at all. You could have great physical wealth and no spiritual wealth, but according to the Bible, that wouldn't make you so wealthy at all. You know, if you've fallen into the lie that blessing needs to look like materialistic gain, then unfortunately you've missed the point. Because according to Paul, it's generosity that leads to true life. It's, it's uh, you know, we are created to be generous. We're created in the image of a generous God, right? You know, what does the Bible say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. I think that in the word of God, given that essentially God wrote this, he knows something about how we're created. We are created to be generous. As Christians, the point isn't living to get what we can. The point is actually living to give what we can. If health and wealth were to be a sign of your, um, of your favour with Jesus or your favour with God, then how do you explain the life that Jesus lived? Think about it for a moment. Jesus was nomadic. He didn't have a home. He really relied on the goodness of the people around him to provide that place of shelter and, and some of his needs in that moment. Sure, God provided through people to him, but Jesus was not wealthy. Now, would we say that he was spiritually rich? Yeah, I think we'd have to say that Jesus was spiritually rich, but physically rich? Nah, he wasn't physically rich. How would we explain Paul? Now, I would say that we would have to agree that Paul found favour with God. I mean, this is the guy that wrote around half of the books of the New Testament. This is the guy who, who we refer to all the time as preaching and, and sharing the word of God and we trust what Paul has written and what he has said in the, in the word. This is also the guy who was imprisoned for his faith. This is the guy who also uh, often relied on the generosity of the people around him while he was sharing his ministry. This is a guy who was beaten, bruised, and eventually put to death for his faith, right? This is Paul. But Paul also says, he says, I know what it is to be brought low. I know what it is to be in need. Yet he's also the guy that says, God provides for all of our needs, right? Surely Paul hadn't lost favour with God when he was around sharing the ministry and seeing people come to know Jesus, but yet he was not wealthy. And to be honest, neither did he always have great health. You know, I believe that Paul understood something about afflictions. We see afflictions in our lives and it can be so easy just to pray them away. Now, I want to encourage you, pray. Please pray. Pray for breakthrough. I'm not saying don't do that. But understand that afflictions in your life aren't always a bad thing. You see, God uses anything for his good, right? So God uses afflictions, he can use afflictions to open our hearts in ways that nothing else can, to open our hearts to him. He has a way of using afflictions to show us the value of eternity, to show us the value that is found in eternity, to make us more teachable towards him and to recognise his strength in our weakness. You never see God's strength so much in how weak you are as you do when you're in an affliction right? Afflictions can be a blessing. Your problems are not a surprise to God. They're never a surprise to God. He sees you. He knows what's going on. 
And so one of the worst things that we can do when we are in a situation where we see it and it's less than desirable, we're in that affliction, we're in that place, one of the worst things we can do is hide from it. Pretend it doesn't exist. You see, prosperity doctrine would say, don't make a negative confession, only positive confessions. Well, it's a bit dangerous if you ask me to not actually acknowledge the problems that you're in. Regardless of the outcome, our trust is in God. You see, if you are in a, in a place right now where you need financial breakthrough, or maybe you know someone that needs financial breakthrough, can I encourage you, don't pull the doona over your head and pretend the world doesn't exist around you. Yeah. And also, please don't just pray and then say, I'm rich now. I'm rich because I prayed. That is not a very wise thing to do. What I'd encourage you to do is keep praying, but look for the areas that God has already blessed you. Look for the areas that he has brought blessing all around you. You see, God uses his people to bless others and he will use you to bless others as well. It may be that there are people around you who can teach you how to budget. It might be that there are people around you who have a connection into a new job. It might be that there are people around you who can train you and give you the skills that you need to be able to find yourself out of that financial stress. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Pray and invite God in so that he can fill that gap. But look around for the ways that his blessing is already in place in your life. In 2 Corinthians, we, um, we read about this church, the Macedonian church. You know, I love the Macedonian church. I find them so encouraging and I'll tell you why. See, the Macedonian church, they were poor. But the reason that they're written about in Corinthians is not because they're poor, but it's actually because they had the grace of God on their lives and because they were generous towards another church, the Jerusalem church, who were also poor. See, the Macedonians didn't go, we're poor, so we can't do anything about it. We're struggling. You, you sort yourselves out, we'll sort ourselves out. But by the grace of God on their lives, they saw that they could still be a blessing. They didn't limit what God could do by their poverty, but they were moved by God's heart and they were a blessing to others. You see, they saw an opportunity to be generous and to sacrifice. They saw, saw an opportunity to encourage others and to see them do better. They hadn't sinned. They weren't out of favour with God. They weren't being punished, yet they were poor. You know, I think God is so proud of the Macedonian church because he has made sure that they are in his word for all time to come. Not only they could encourage the Corinthian church at the time, but for all believers for all time to come. God was so proud of them, yet they were poor. God solves problems through the generosity and sacrifice of his people. And I think that, you know, our church has such a heart for that. That's why our miracle offering is such a great testament to the incredible people that we have at this church. Because people have been generous and sacrificed so that God can work through you. Those who uh, live by the prosperity doctrine and those who don't may actually not look that different on the surface. Right? Like, think about it. If someone believes in prosperity doctrine and they give generously and somebody doesn't, they may also give generously. On the surface, it can actually be really hard to tell. But you know how to tell the difference? It's the motivation behind the generosity that reveals the heart. 
the motivation behind the generosity that reveals the heart. I want to clarify at this point, being wealthy is not bad, okay? Being wealthy is not bad. The pursuit of wealth, I would not encourage, but being wealthy is not bad. You see, you can have very little and have a terrible attitude towards money. You can have a lot and have a great attitude towards money. It's about the attitude, it's about the motivation, it's about the heart. In Luke, we read Jesus say, you cannot serve both God and money. That's Jesus that said that. You cannot, not you should not. You cannot serve both God and money. Money has a way of subtly making its way into our life and starting to find its pla- itself in a place where we can idolise it and put it as a priority before God. But can I encourage you, don't allow that to happen. You know, you want to know how to find out if you're serving God or money, you want to know what the test is, how to find out, how to know truly, who am I serving? If you are serving God over money, you will use what you have to serve others and to serve God. You will use what you have, your resource, to serve others and to serve God instead of just, serving it, instead of just using it to serve yourself. That's how you know. You know, I, uh, I love my husband, Zach. He's an incredible man of God. But one of the things that he often says, and this is one of the things that I love about him, one of the things that he often says to me, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but is essentially this. I want to do what God would do with what he has given to me. I want to do what God would do with what God has given to me. And you know, I so agree. We want to do what God would do with what he's given to us. With the resource that he has given to us, what would God do with that? We are blessed to be a blessing. And God will actually give to you when he can work through you. And he'll give to you what he can work through you as well. There's, um, There's a king in the Bible that we read about, King Solomon. And King Solomon's, there's this interesting moment when we read about King Solomon. He was the son of King David. And so he was the successor after David, a king of Israel. And King Solomon, there's this moment where God comes to him in a dream. And he more or less says, what do you want? Ask for it. What do you want? You can have anything. You know, I watched Aladdin recently and this sounds strangely like the genie. Okay, it sounds strangely like the genie. Is God our genie? I mean, we know that he's not, but in this moment, it's a bit weird. Like, kind of sounds like he's Solomon's genie. Why can't he be our genie too? You see, the thing about Solomon is that he didn't actually seek the gift itself. He sought the giver of the gift, being God. And what Solomon did, he didn't ask for what he needed to fulfill his own desires. He didn't ask for what he needed to fulfill his own will and what he might want to do but he actually asked for what he needed to be a good king. He asked for what he needed to fulfill God's will in his life. And the thing that he asked for was wisdom. He asked for wisdom. What a great thing to ask for. You know, this pleased God so much. And I believe that God only asked him this question because God knew his heart. He knew that he would give an answer that was pleasing to him because Solomon's priorities at this time were really good. They were in the right place. 
you know, after um, Solomon asked for wisdom, God essentially says to him, you know, you didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for possessions that I would kill your enemies. And because of that, I'm going to give you those things as well. God blessed Solomon because his heart was in the right place. He sought the giver of the gifts, not the gift itself. We have a guy in our church by the name of Justin. Um, He's a great guy. And a couple of weeks ago, um, you might have caught an interview that we did with him. Um, And we played it in the service. And it was a great interview because it was an awesome testimony of how God has used someone in our church. Justin and his wife, Sharon, um, they gave... So I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Obviously, COVID changed how we did church for a little while there in 2020 and even today, okay? And so we had to take what we do physically and try to get it online so that we could all be together. Now, in that time, we needed some upgrades to our equipment. So Justin and his wife, Sharon, gave generously towards that equipment, which meant that we could do online church instead of, um, well, instead of giving you terrible quality, (laughs) really. So we could do that and do do it well. Now, Justin, um, he gave a significant amount. He gave an amount that um, God had put in his heart and, and he gave that not thinking that he would receive financial wealth in return, but just wanting to be obedient to what God had asked him to do. You know, this amazing thing happened in the months to come when you would have expected that his work would have slowed down because of COVID. Actually, the opposite happened. His business thrived. He actually um, made back that money plus more in the months to come when you would have expected him to be in hardship in that time. You know, Justin didn't give because he wanted the return. But God knows that he could work through him. God knew that he could work through him. Prosperity doctrine, at the end of the day, honestly selfish really it's selfish because you're just giving to get something for yourself is it truly sacrifice if you expect something greater in return would you truly call that sacrifice if you have to if you have to control the outcome does that require trust in God see sacrifice and generosity are going to be really hard if you don't fully trust God If you don't trust God in your life, you're going to find it hard to sacrifice and give generously. The other thing about prosperity doctrine is it leads to weird theology, like weird beliefs about God. I mean, ultimately, it's quite works-based, right? I do this, I get this. I do this, I earn favour with God. And we know in light of the gospel that I shared earlier, in light of Jesus and who he is, that we no longer have to work to gain favour with God, but we are already blessed. We already have favour with him. So that can't be right. The other thing that's a bit odd is that if you don't get what you asked for, you've got to start trying to work out why you're out of favour with God. And that's actually not really possible in light of the gospel that we read before, because if you believe in Jesus, you already are blessed. You already have favour with him. To be honest, I can understand how people get there. Looking at some scriptures, in all honesty, I can understand why some people would fall into the lie of believing the prosperity doctrine. It's scriptures like this, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, 
name it, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There's name it and claim it all over that. There's positive confession all over that. You know, it's so important that we read the Bible in context of all the scriptures. It's so important that we don't just read the Bible just one scripture and take that we need to read it in context of the story of the of the bible we need to read in context of the character of god we need to read it in context of other scriptures and i'm so glad that we find clarification you know i read mark 11:24 and i think anything how far are we going to take that i mean i would love i would love that holiday to northern queensland that would be great can i just like hey ruth you're heading to queen awesome Queensland, money's in your account, off you go. Love it. You know, I like if I had a superhero power, I would choose to be able to like teleport. And I mean, we don't we see that in the Bible? So it can't be that much of a stretch, right? I would love to teleport. Can I ask for that? Like how far are we going to take it? Of course, we know that that is silly. But when we look in 1 John 5, 14 to 15, we find clarification. It says this in verse, starting in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him according to his will. What does Jesus say before he goes to the cross? He says to God, if you can take this cup from me, if I don't have to die on the cross, I'd really rather not. If you can take it from me, please do. But Father, not my will, but yours be done. God will not act outside of his will. See, it's important to understand when it comes to the will of God, there's actually two types that we talk about. What, the first one is God's will of decree. And the second is God's will of command. You see, the first, God's will of decree, his sovereign will. Think about the fact that when Jesus went to the cross, There were people that didn't even know God that made decisions which led to prophecies that were were made previously being fulfilled, right? Think about Pilate, the Roman official who, who eventually ordered Jesus to be crucified. He didn't know God. He wasn't praying about that decision. But yet we see Isaiah prophesy what's to come earlier, way earlier in the Old Testament. You know, think about the, think about the religious leaders of the day. They made decisions and they made choices which fulfilled prophecy. That was always going to be, it was God's sovereign will. It was God's will of decree. But then we've got God's will of command. You know, that's the kind of will where it's like, I, I feel like God is saying this to me, but I'm too scared to obey it. You know, I felt God say this to me and I disobeyed because I was too scared. Or I feel God has put this on my heart and so I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to do what I feel he's asked me to do. You know, our role is never to dictate to God. Our role is never to dictate to him, but to make petition and request, to come to him with praise and thanksgiving, making requests, making our requests known to him. Prosperity doctrine makes the person the ruler and God the servant. And... That's a scary thought. I tell, you, I tell you what, you know, I love people, but I don't really, I'm not really interested in a world where people are God. Yeah. We're, we're not qualified. It's a very scary thought to think of people as being God. We're very underqualified and it's not our role. 
Praise God that He is the ruler, that He is the King, that He is Lord. Praise God that He is in control. And if our hearts as Christians are in the right place, then we know that our role is to serve Him and to serve His will. Honestly, there are many things that we desire that aren't of God, right? There's many temptations in our lives. There's many things that we desire that are not of His. But the more time we spend with Him, the more time that we spend in prayer with Him, in praise and thanksgiving, the more, the more that, he can, that He can move our hearts. And as He does that, what happens is instead of us just asking God for things, we start to listen as He, as he shares with us His heart. And our heart starts to bend to his will instead of his to ours. If our heart is in line with his, then our desires will, be, will align with his as well. Imagine if our relationship with God was just like, I do this, you do that. It's very transactional. I'm not super interested in a transactional relationship with God when I know that he is a relational God who wants to know me and show me his love in my life. It just seems like it would be selling ourselves short. See, God's not a shop assistant that is obligated to just, you know, do what you, do what you ask of them. He's not there until you get the right fit of what you're looking for. He's not the shop assistant. He's your father. The idea that you can earn his affections or promises in your life is a lie. The truth is that we believe in a relational God who's in control and a God who is trustworthy. A couple of years ago, I had the um, I had uh, the privilege of being able to go to Indonesia um, on a missions trip, and I went for about two two months, and it was it was pretty funny, really, because what two of my friends and I did is we had a project placement, a research placement in my final year of university, and we thought, what a great opportunity to use uni to go overseas and do a missions trip. This is a great opportunity. Now, we thought we were really clever until we were filling out the forms and we were filling out the application forms because, of course, the uni had to approve it. So we're filling out the application forms and there's this part on the application form that says that the university would only approve safe travel. So if you go to Smart Traveller, you can find just how safe your travel will be based on the area you're going to. So we put in the area that we were going to and turns out really not safe. In fact, it was up the other end of the scale. <laughs> Believing that this is something that um, God had for us and that we had faith that we, that we were going to be able to go, we decided to put in the forms anyway. There was a moment where we thought, should we just give up? Nah, let's put them in. We'll see what happens. Now, the university took so long to get back to us. In fact, it was only about two weeks before we left that they called and told us we had been approved. Not too long after that, the uni asked to meet with us and, and they said to us, look, we don't know why you've been approved. Uh, actually, you shouldn't be going. We should have never approved you. But we know you've booked your flights. You've got the grant, so go. <laughs> the funny thing is, during this time, I actually felt God speak to me and put a conviction on my heart to give financially to the church. There was a really specific amount and as a university student, of course, I had barely any money and I was hoping to go to Indonesia where I would need to use some of that money. And, and God had put on my heart, you know what, Ruth, if you believe, if you have the faith to believe that this is what I have called you to do, I want you to actually give. I want you to give this amount into the church. And so I planned over the next couple of weeks, I broke it down with my pay and I, I paid over the next couple of weeks and planned how I was going to do that. But the 
funny thing is, the giving into the church seems to have absolutely nothing to do with the trip to Indonesia. But it was so important for me to take that moment where I would trust God for the outcome. You see, my trust wasn't in my desired outcome, but in His faithfulness. Whether we went or not was not the point, but it was trusting in God's faithfulness regardless of the outcome. You need to set your focus not on what you can get by faith, but on what God can do through your faith. It's about Him, not me, not you. It's about Him. See, disproving the prosperity doctrine isn't about discounting faith. It's not about discounting trust or the power of prayer even. In fact, it's just highlighting it. Because it takes a lot of trust to trust in God's will regardless of the outcome. Even when it doesn't look like what you thought or what you hoped, God is still a good God and we can trust in Him. There's always going to be this tension between trusting God to provide for your needs whilst not expecting that He owes you. You know, I don't know why for Justin, I don't know why God blessed him financially afterwards. I don't know. It may happen for some people that way and it may not for others, but it's in God's hand. He is the judge. There's always this tension between trusting God to provide for your needs whilst not expecting that He owes you in return. So the difference between somebody who believes in the prosperity doctrine versus someone who is a gospel-centred Christian is that if you're a gospel-centred Christian, you'll understand that God already gave us everything. He already gave us everything we need and we are entitled to nothing. The root of the myth of prosperity doctrine is that God owes you. The truth is God owes you nothing, yet He gave everything. His favour can't be bought. It's already been given by His grace. Isn't that our theme this year? Grace upon grace. We live in grace upon grace. We can't buy His favour. It's already been given. So instead of becoming fixated on this idea of being healthy and wealthy and having great well-being because we believe in God and instead of focusing on that, you know what we're better off focusing on? Focusing on our dependence on God. Focusing on that whilst we are weak, He is strong. Focusing on the fact that He will give you the good things that He prepared for you. He will give you what you need to fulfil the promises that He has put in your life. If you don't have it, sure, pray for it, but trust that if you need it, God will give it to you. Love will trust God, but it won't test Him. It will trust Him. You know, by having an eternal perspective and this trust in God, it's actually quite freeing because it means that we can totally avoid the temptation of greed. Nobody likes feeling greed. It's actually not a very pleasant emotion. No one likes feeling it and we don't have to. But as Christians, we know that we can be content with what is given to us, even if it's just food and clothing, as we read in 1 Timothy. It's a challenging thought. Even to be content with just food and clothing, as as, as Paul mentioned in Timothy. So I know there's been a lot of information, a lot of scriptures thrown around. I know that there's been a bit of content. But if you remember anything, remember these things. It's a myth that you'll be blessed when you give. The truth is you're already blessed. It's a myth that God owes you when you give. The truth is He owes you nothing, but He gave you everything. 
And remember to set your focus not on what you can get by your faith, but on what can do, what God can do through your faith. Remember those things. We're going to pray and I want to take a moment to pray for people who want God to use what they have to grow His kingdom, to bless others. To pray for those who want to be open and have a soft heart towards God to be used by Him with what they have. So if that's you in your homes, wherever you are right now, why don't you just close your eyes and just take a moment to acknowledge, God, I want this and I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you that you give us everything that we need. And even when that doesn't look like what we think it should, we choose to trust you. I pray that we wouldn't become trapped into thinking about ourselves and what we can get by faith, but God, that we would be used by you, that we would open our hearts, that we would, that we would fix our eyes on how you can move through us. God, I pray that you would use us to be a blessing. I pray that you would use what we have to bless others, that we wouldn't hold what we have so tight to us, but that we would serve you with our resource, that we would serve you with our finances. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom to be good stewards of what we have, that we would be listening to you, that we would be prompted by you, that we would be prompted by what is your will and what you want and that we would have the trust to obey. We thank you, God, that you work through us. We thank you, God, that even though you could just do it, you choose to work through your people. And it is a privilege, it is an honour to be able to be used by you. God, we love you and we pray that we would see incredible miracles in our community by the generosity of the people in this church. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.